It's official. One Shining Podcast is back, and I am your host, Tate Frazier. And as March Madness begins, we're covering everything from Selection Sunday all the way to the championship and beyond. We're going to have great guests that are coming through on the show. And look, if you're a friend of the program and you're already subscribed, you don't have to do anything. OSP is back. It's going to be right back in your feed. And if you're not a friend of the program and this is your first time on the rodeo, then let me tell you this. You need to go to Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts and smash subscribe today because the OSP show is back. It's New York, New York, presented by FanDuel. Take a shot at betting the NBA with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub, filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all on one page. Plus, start betting on the Explore page and the Pulse and bet live same-game parlays for every NBA game. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 100 Gambler or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian, tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. We are back-to-back, belly-to-belly. Due to scheduling this week, it's New York, New York, with yours truly, J.J. Johnson-Stremski. And with the madness being in our backyard at Madison Square Garden and with the Sweet 16 kicking off, you were waiting for some thrillers in this NCAA tournament? Well, it's fair to say we had two thrillers, one at the Garden, the other one out in Las Vegas, and that game just literally wrapped up seconds ago between UCLA and Gonzaga. What an insane finish. UCLA went like 10 minutes without scoring a field goal. Basically, the entire length of sports night, they don't score. Looks like Gonzaga up 10 is going to win the game going away. Then Gonzaga can't handle a press. Gonzaga can't hit a free throw. You know the history of Gonzaga and UCLA in these tournament games. It was Jalen Suggs a couple of years ago. It was Adam Morrison and the catch from Gus Johnson back in 2006. You knew you were going to have some insanity at the end of this game. Bailey hits the three. UCLA goes up by one. I'm like, holy smokes, they're going to win this game. Cronin made two mistakes. One, I know Gonzaga has a timeout. He should not have used a timeout there. Gonzaga is all out of sorts. They're all out of whack. Let them be the ones to call the timeout there, to settle themselves down. The other mistake they made is, where's the ball pressure? Where is the ball pressure full court knowing it's giving Gonzaga fits? They haven't been able to handle it. 
Credit the kid. He had a monster shot basically from Guam. And ends up winning the game from Gonzaga. And now they go to the Elite Eight. And they'll take on a team that somewhat has local ties and could not have looked any more dominant tonight in UConn and Dan Hurley. My goodness. That game was over from Jump Street. And I had a feeling that Arkansas could have some trouble with the size of UConn. They did. UConn also shot the ball very well today. They were 9-20 from three. They were 57% from the field. And they out-rebounded Arkansas by 12. Arkansas had no chance of winning this game if that was going to be the case. You get 24 from Hawkins. You get 18 from Sonogo. And now it will be Gonzaga and UConn. And let's be real. UConn has an excellent chance now to get to the Final Four. And I'll take it a step further. I think if you look at UConn's profile, offensive efficiency, defensive efficiency, everything they bring to the marketplace, UConn is more than capable of going and cutting down the nets in Houston in two weeks. They are absolutely a team that could go and win a national championship. And they're only a couple of wins away from doing so. So hats off to the UConn Huskies. Monster win there. The other regional, what else is new? Rick Barnes' teams go completely gimp in the NCAA tournament. You want to hear something insane, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls? Listen to this for a second. Rick Barnes in the NCAA tournament. And he's been in the NCAA tournament a bunch over the years. But I got to reference this stat. 9-21 and 21 against the spread. 3-8 and eight with Tennessee. Florida Atlantic. Came ready to go in the second half. Tennessee couldn't hit a shot. I had a feeling this was going to happen to Tennessee at this point. I just figured it would happen in the Elite Eight game. It ends up happening in the Sweet 16 game. And Florida Atlantic, the Owls, great story. 31 season. They will be at Madison Square Garden in our backyard taking on a local kid in Novell and Kansas State who won a thriller against Michigan State. I mean, that was as well-played a game as you're going to see in the NCAA tournament. Big shots, lead changes, back and forth. Noel wore down a lot in the overtime, at least from his shot. Some of the passes, 20 and 19. Those lob passes he was throwing were insane. And Michigan State had no answer for it. Michigan State was awful on defense. The kid Hauser was terrible down the stretch. He missed the front end of a one-and-one. He missed a couple of big threes. Then the end of the game, nobody wanted to shoot the ball from Michigan State. Absolutely brutal. Kansas State, Florida Atlantic, not exactly the sexiest Elite Eight matchup that you can have at Madison Square Garden. I'm sure the folks at MSG would much rather have UConn in this particular scenario. But hey, second time now, Madison Square Garden has had kind of an unknown, weird, off-the-beaten-path regional. They had that Wisconsin-Florida game that was great back in, I want to say, either 2015 or 17. I think it was 2015. I don't even know. Bo Ryan was coaching the team. Maybe it was 17. I don't know. But you had that. Ended up being a classic. And the Garden and March and big-time college hoops is just meant to be. So I know we don't do a ton of college hoops on this pod. But when it's the biggest event in town, let's be honest, that's the biggest event in town. March Madness, NCAA tournament at Madison Square Garden, all the games Thursday and Friday. I was into it. And if you weren't into it, not that I want to lecture you a little bit, but you know what? I am going to lecture you a little bit. Shame on you. 
because you missed some unbelievable theater. You missed some unbelievable drama. Two fantastic NCAA tournament games today. That's how I want to start things off. Secondly, the New York Knickerbockers are in a little bit of a funk. I think we can acknowledge that now as they have lost their second game in consecutive days. They've now lost three straight after losing this Florida swing first to the Miami Heat. Then they go and lose to the Orlando Magic. And let's be honest, a lot of this game was window dressing because of what the Knicks were able to do in the third quarter. The Knicks did not play well. The Knicks were terrible once again guarding the three-point line. Orlando goes and hits 13 threes. They hit a bunch in the fourth quarter. And I got a major bone to pick with Julius Randle. And you know what? We got to get on Tom Thibodeau for this as well. He is completely out of control with the officials. And you saw it tonight in Thursday's game where Emmanuel quickly basically trying to get him out of the fray where he's chirping, he's off his game, he's venting to the officials. Quickly's like, dude, get out of here. You're going to get teed up. What happens? He gets teed up. This is where Tom Thibodeau's got to tell his player, enough is enough. Julius, you got to get your emotions in check. Because if you don't, it's the formula and the blueprint to go and get on the skin called playoff time. You don't think Cleveland's going to try to do that? You don't think other teams are going to try to do that? Of course they are. Of course they are. And my goodness, R.J. Barrett could not play worse tonight. And Barrett's had a good month of March. He's averaged 20 points per game. At least he only took three threes tonight. Three at 12 from the field for Barrett is just terrible. But the issue for Barrett is more so the lack of a three-point shot. Where even if you look in the month of March when he's, you know, averaging 20-plus points per game, he's hitting like 20-something percent from three. That is completely unacceptable. That has got to be a lot better for R.J. Barrett. So I guess the good news for the Knicks today is that they got a little cooperation with the Brooklyn Nets yucking up their game. A game that was very winnable, very gettable, and ends up being a loss for them. So as you look right now at the, quote-unquote, standings in the Eastern Conference, Knicks are the five at 42 and 33. Miami is the six. Brooklyn is now a half game behind Miami as they have lost five in a row. When it's all said and done, as we predicted on this show and on East Coast Bias, the Knicks and the Heat are going to be the two teams that are in the top six. Knicks better beat Miami, though, when they play them on Wednesday. If you want to make sure you're in that four or five, you would better find a way to beat Miami next Wednesday in what will be a monstrous, monstrous game in Madison Square Garden. But Tom Thibodeau, please, you need to do a better job of keeping Julius Randle in check. And this is where I'm going to look at the head coach and I'm going to ask the head coach to go and, and be the guy to go and get that done. So for the Knicks this week, you lose these Florida games. Got to get back to winning ways. And to me, that starts with what the Knicks do on defense and guarding the three. Houston on Monday, enjoy your weekend. And then Miami, monstrous game. Monstrous, monstrous game next Wednesday before we kick off this baseball season. Speaking of which, a couple of quick notes is we are now inside a week from opening day. We are going to do our top 10 or top 15. I forget what we did last year. I'm going to double check the number. Salicata, my buddy and I over at SNY, and you know, he works at my old radio station. Um, we had a ton of fun with that last year. 
So we're going to do that again. We'll have a laugh and kind of compare what our lists were last year as opposed to what they are going to be this year. So that's going to be coming up over the course of the week. Storylines to watch. One, Volpe. Is he going to make the Yankees? A lot of chatter. Leaning in a direction of yes. Two, Oswaldo Cabrera has to have a legitimate role on this team. He needs to be a guy that's basically playing every day. He's energy. He's versatile. He plays with a whole lot of swag. I need to see that out of Oswaldo. And then the other thing we're watching from a Mets standpoint is how the bullpen is going to look early without Edwin Diaz. Robertson now moving into that closer's role. He's done it before. He's had great success as a closer, but he's in an advanced stage in his career. They were bringing him in to be the setup guy. Now, all of a sudden, David Robertson takes on that much more importance. Adovino takes on that much more importance. Rarely, whenever he comes back, takes on that much more importance. Mets will be able to get bullpen guys, but that's kind of the way this is set up right now, where it's like that, that, that puzzle piece of what is the bullpen going to look like in the early going couple of weeks for Buck Showalter and his team. And, and we'll see if there's any hangover for McNeil and Alonzo playing in the WBC, but not getting a lot of at-bats in the WBC. Does that maybe throw them off their game a little bit uh, over the first couple of weeks of the year? So those are some early storylines to watch for the final couple of days of spring training and then the first couple of days of the regular season. And we will have our season predictions, Yankee preview, Met preview, over-unders, all that good stuff coming up on Sunday and coming up on Tuesday. So it's a great time of the year. Basketball and hockey home stretch, by the way. I'd be remiss before we take voicemails. Great win for the Rangers tonight. They had that home at home with Carolina. They fall behind early. Finally, finally getting Adam Fox call. It's taken way too long for that to be the case. And the Rangers, four back at the Devils, six back at Carolina. Don't think they're catching Carolina. Can the Rangers make a move ahead of the Devils, maybe, to get home ice? Or are we talking about the Devils making a move to catch Carolina where you would get Carolina and the Rangers in the first round? A lot to straighten out, and the Islanders are right now trying to play their way into the postseason. So between the seeding and the basketball, the seeding and the hockey, baseball starting, Final Four next week, Masters the week after that, it's a great time to be a sports fan. That's really what it boils down to. So, giddy up, as we like to say. All right, let's take some voicemails. And then we're going to have Mark Feinstein on, who I love. Covered the Yankees for forever. Now he's over at MLB Network and MLB.com. So I wanted to preview the season with Mark, who was basically at spring training for the last few weeks. 917-382-1151. Let's hear some voicemails. Stefan, let's go. Uh, JJ, Charlie Elmer. So we recorded this voicemail again. Uh, Nick Spustria and all, uh, third one coming at the, at the hands of the land of magic. Like right now, everything, the problem is Nick's right now. And every pretty much facet of the team, whether it's offense, you know, going good. And now tonight, it's like slow star, breaking shots after breaking shots, like back shot selection and like, Big continuity problems, turning the ball over. But the main, most, most concerning part is the defense getting torched, especially from three point lanes. You got the you know, bottom three point, uh, teams in the NBA, like Miami go off. 
Orlando Magic go off on the fourth quarter in crunch time. And just like right now, the Knicks defense has been a problem. Problem. Especially from three point line. Just unacceptable. Unacceptable. And Julius Randle needs to calm down. Getting a technical foul again? That's a, that's his third straight game with a technical foul? Randle needs to calm down and stop whining at their officials because he's costing this team, like, hurting his team. Like, his emotions getting the best of him. And come playoff time, that's how teams going to attack him. That's going to attack Randle, try to get it under his skin. So Randle needs to calm down. I know he plays with a lot of emotion, but come on. Randle needs to, like, you know, keep his composure. Come on. Like, what the hell is Tibbs They're getting in front of him? And, and him not getting, I'm trying to prevent him from getting a teeth. So that's one. Another thing that pissed me off is like scoring for the Yankees, uh, broadcast schedule for this season. They're doing this again? 21 games? Exclu- exclusive on Prime Video? I mean, are you serious with this shit? I don't like it at all. I don't know about you or any other people, uh, like this, this platform of watching and streaming. Uh, I hate it. You take it off games away on street television. How come can, you couldn't do like, you know, uh, okay, 21 games exclusive on Prime Video. How come 10 of them also with Prime and like Pix 11? How come they couldn't do that? I mean, really? They're stealing money. Rigged system. Oh, I can't take it. Like, August series against the Red Sox, three game series, two of them on Prime. The last series at Fenway Park, four game series in September, two of them on Prime. I mean, that's not how you sell the game or like, you know, sell to the consumers. Oh, I'm pissed off. I'm pissed off with that move. I cannot stand it. Right now, uh, I'm pissed off. Fuck! Whoa, Charlie, with the uh, dramatic F-bomb there at the end. Look, uh, too many games probably on Prime Video, if we're being perfectly honest. I'm easy. I want the games on, yes. Uh, I-, I know I'm old school in that way. I have no problem with the games being on, like, these streaming devices. Like, I do that for football all the time. I, I-, I do it with my secondary TV all the time. The issue you had with the Amazon Prime last year, it was so behind, number one. And number two, half the time the stream didn't even work. You're like rebooting it every other inning. Like, that that's a problem. That's something that's going to grind your gears a little bit. But it's the world we live in, Charlie. Unfortunately, you're going to get more of this sort of thing, and you're not going to get less of this sort of thing. So that's the bad news I have for you. Um, We're on the same wavelength when it comes to the Knicks. The one thing I want to throw in there, Tom Thibodeau has to take hold of this Randall situation. He's an emotional player. He's a fiery player. He can use that to his advantage. There's no question. But when you're getting teed up constantly, like he has been, and you have a teammate basically telling you, Julius, that's enough, that's enough, that's enough, and he's still getting teed up, that's when you got to step in and be like, dude, you can't keep doing this. Because it's problematic. And and you could sense it from Brainy and Clyde, who, by the way, I want to throw this out there too. They were so freaking good Wednesday night in honoring the late, great Willis Reed. Which is something we should have done on the podcast yesterday, by the way. Slipped my mind. Shame on me for that. And I should have mentioned it last night. They were incredible. You know, Clyde obviously has that connection. Breen, this lifelong Knicks fan. And you know what I was thinking watching those two guys? We are so lucky as Nick fans, to have those two guys doing our games consistently. So freaking lucky. That's how good they are. 
And you do have to wonder with Randall. Brunson was not there tonight. And I'm not giving the Knicks a pass for losing the Orlando Magic, by the way. You notice I didn't do that. That was by design. That was on purpose. No pass. You should beat the Orlando Magic with or without Jalen Brunson. But it does seem like Randall at times comes a little bit more out of sorts when Brunson is not on the floor. Just something to think about. Who's next? Hey, JJ. Um, Richie from Denver here. Um, just watching the Knicks game tonight. Lost the Magic. I just wanted to quickly talk about Thibodeau. I know he's your guy, and I think he's been doing a good job. But the one thing he always does and never fails, whatever team he's coaching, he places guys into the ground. And they never do well in the playoffs. By the end of the season, you can see the wear and tear. Jalen Brunson is out tonight again. Randall looks like he's wearing down. I mean, you could just see it. These guys don't have the same energy on defense or offense. And I love what Thibodeau does in the regular season, but you can see towards the end of the year, his team, they always do it with the Bulls, the Timberwolves. It always happens. They wear out, and then they get knocked out quickly in the playoffs if they get there. So he always, you know, he gets them the most out of the team, it feels like. But we're starting to see the cracks and the crumbles of a tired team. All right, later, JJ. Yeah, here's my problem with that take. Who do you want playing more for the Knicks? They've had more success since they've shortened the rotation. You you can't argue that. You want to tell me they're playing the starters too many minutes? What do you want to see Derek Rose play? You want to see Evan Fournier play? No, I know the lack of minutes at times for Obi Toppin can be problematic, and that's going to bother the fan from time to time. I get that. You want to see a little bit more McBride? I guess. Guy was minus 12 when he was on the floor tonight. Minus 12. They're not a particularly deep team. And they've had better success going to a shorter rotation. And won them a lot of ballgames. Look, the Knicks are a regular season team. That's what it boils down to. They won't have success or not have success, however you want to phrase it, based upon the amount of minutes they're playing in the regular season. They will lose because they are not talented enough. That's really what it comes down to. Are the Knicks talented enough to go on a run and win multiple playoff series? And right now, my answer would be they could win a round. When they were winning nine in a row, they had that win over the Celtics. You wanted to fantasize a little bit. I think reality set in a little bit. And the Knicks match up better with the Celtics than they do the Bucs. Just something to think about. All right, good stuff on the calls. We'll take a bunch Sunday. Um, and then here's what we got going on this week. Sunday pod right after the Final Four or right after we know what the Final Four is going to be. We have the two early regional final games, so we'll rock early. Tuesday, we'll, we'll preview the baseball season. We'll have you covered every which way. Thursday, here's what I'm going to do. And remember, I'm going to be on the big JJ bachelor party extravaganza. And don't you worry, I'll still be dialed in. Especially on Thursday. Very much dialed in on Thursday. And I'll be at Stadium Swim on Saturday. But... The way too early bachelor party, considering the wedding is going to be uh, in late August, we will have 30-plus gentlemen out in Las Vegas. I mean, good luck with that. But after Yankees at 1 o'clock, Mets at 4 o'clock, we are going to do a live Twitter Spaces 
right after that last out of the Met game. Yankee reaction, net reaction, get on board. That's where we're taking our Spotify Live shows. Spotify Live shows are now on Twitter Spaces. So we will have a Twitter Spaces after Yankee and Met opening day on Thursday. So I hope that covers what we have going on this week, which, long story short, is going to be a lot. Mark Feinstein, who I love. MLB.com, MLB Network, preview to 2023 season. Starting to get ahead of it. He's up next. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on Cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on Cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on Cars.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So we are a, a week out from opening day. The Yankees taking on the Giants, the Mets taking on Sandy Alcantara and the Miami Marlins. A lot of hype, a lot of anticipation for the start of the 2023 season. I love this guy. I see him all the time. I read him all the time. MLB.com, MLB Network, man of many talents, the great Mark Feinstein. And Mark, by the way, one of my great stories of you is you correcting me on Twitter for spelling Cobra Kai incorrectly. You probably don't remember this. <laughs> I do. And now I am a disciple of the Cobra Kai now watching the show. So I just wanted to let you know about that. Yeah, there, there are certain things that irritate me and misspellings by people that I think should be spelling things correctly is one of them. So uh, if, if, if I did correct you, it's only because I thought you should be doing better. That's all. Well, I agree with that. And I think I deserve <laughs> to be corrected. So I'm glad that you called me out. And, you know, Johnny Lawrence and Marty Cove and all those guys now won't give me any crap for it. But let's get down to business here. Look, you've been covering baseball a long time. It's rare. I mean, I could think of 2006. I, I could think of last year. But this is one of the few years, I'd say, more kind of the last 20 or so years when you can look at the Yankees and look at the Mets and make a realistic case that both, if things break right and things go a certain way, can win a World Series. And not only that, Mark, I think this is now the new norm in New York baseball with Cohen coming in, spending the amount of money he's spending. You know the Yankees are not going anywhere. Is this something we should expect now in New York year after year after year? I would think so. I mean, you know, the only... The only <clears throat> sort of catch before was where the Wilpons going to spend enough to, uh, you know, put them in a category where you looked at them as one of the favorites going into this, you know, a regular season every year. If Steve Cohen's going to spend 350, 400 million plus luxury tax, uh, you know, at some point, and now you're looking at 
450 million, and at some point, who knows, it could be 500 million, then the Mets are going to be there, right? They're going to go out and do what they have to do in the offseason to make sure that they are uh, one of those teams competing for the pennant come September into October. The Yankees, <clears throat> they may not spend as much as Steve Cohen, but I don't think they have to. They've got a good core in place. They know when they need to spend the money to keep <clears throat> their big players. Excuse me. We saw that with Judge this winter. Uh, you know, they weren't going to let him go no matter what it cost. I mean, they, look, they had to swallow hard to, to sign a nine-year, $360 million deal. That was that was not what they were looking to do. They offered him the seven last year, probably figuring it was going to take eight to get it done. It was nine, but they knew they had to re-sign him. They let him go, forget what it does on the field, everything it does off the field. People go to that stadium to see Aaron Judge. So when the Yankees know they need to pony it up, Garrett Cole a few years ago, Aaron Judge now, they're still going to do that. So, yeah, I think this is going to be an annual thing where uh, if these teams are not both in the race, it's most likely because they've had some crippling injuries that have just, you know, turned their season south. You know, I'm a big Yankee guy. You see the bobbleheads in the background. Uh, it's been a long time coming, though, for this team to win a championship. And I know I sound <clears> spoiled more because, listen, I root for the Dolphins. I root for the Knicks. I haven't seen those teams win in my lifetime. The Yankees, it's a different standard. If you're you're growing up with Don Mattingly and Derek Jeter and Bernie Williams and Paul Neal, when you go 13-plus years without a championship, it, it's turning me gray. It's making me lose my hair. It's making me do all of these things. And the Houston Astros have been their daddy. They owned them in the postseason last year. They swept them four straight games. We know the Yankees are good. We know they're better if Rodon is right there with Cole and Nesta Cortez and Severino in that rotation. But have they done enough, in your opinion, to close that gap that, to me, was eye-opening a year ago with the Astros? Well, I'll be really interested in a couple of things. One, the Astros are going to be without Altuve for the first eight-plus weeks of the season. And how much does that impact their lineup? Uh, as they open the season, will that will that hurt them in terms of jumping out of the gate hot? Number two, I know that they have great, great young pitching. And that's why they were perfectly comfortable with letting Justin Verlander go and sign with the Mets. But Justin Verlander is not just any pitcher. And having a really good young staff to come up, and obviously they got invaluable experience last year, uh, you know, helping that team to the World Series. But you don't just lose Justin Verlander and say that has no impact on this team. Um, so I think that's something interesting to watch in terms of their rotation. You know, last year, Verlander was a guy who took the ball every five days and, uh, you know, won a Cy Young Award coming off of Tommy John surgery. So that's number two. Number three, I think you just look at the AL West, it may be a little better than it's been, right? Texas went last year and got Seeger and Simeon and those guys. And then this year, went out and got to Grom and Evaldi and Heaney and really put some pitching together for the first time in a while. Uh, you know, the Angels, I don't know, I fall for the Angels every year. Just I, I hope you're not old. falling for them this year, Mark. No, Please don't. Please I'm don't. Not. I'm not. But you know what? Anytime you play a team with Trap Matani, they can beat you, right? They're not, you know, last year in the middle of May, I was one of those guys, look, the Angels are 10 games over 500 and they're going to, you know, we may see Trap Matani in the playoffs after all. And then, of course, they won like, you know, 10 of their next 50 games and that was the end of that. But but the Mariners, on the other hand, I'm, I am buying in hard on the Mariners. I love that team. I liked them last year a lot. Uh, they broke that playoff drought that they had going on there 21 years. Now they've added Teoscar Hernandez um, to that already potent lineup. Kalnick looked great this spring. 
Uh, I'm buying in on the Mariners. So uh, I think the Mariners are going to give the, the Astros a little trouble as well. And then, of course, it's a little more of a balanced schedule that we've had in the past. So the Yankees are only going to have, what, I think it's 12 or 14 games against the Rays and the Blue Jays uh, that they have to deal with. And that means a couple extra games against, you know, the Colorado Rockies or uh, the Pittsburgh Pirates. So I think some of those things may balance out a little bit. The Astros don't have quite as many games against the, you know, A's or the, you know, the Rangers who were kind of dogs or the Angels who were kind of dogs last year. So can the Yankees, you know, go and, and win the number one seed and, and have Houston coming to Yankee Stadium? They could. Absolutely. Um, but this feels a lot to me like, and as a Yankee fan, you'll remember it, the first few, you know, six, seven, eight years of, the, uh, of this century, the Angels, Angels. were their daddies. Couldn't beat right? them. Sean Figgins, I mean, Darren Erstad, Garrett Anderson. used oh, to yeah. just kill them. And it didn't matter who was. I mean, the Yankees in 2 that team won 103 games, and they looked like the much better team. And the Angels just boat raced around Anaheim. So, um, they're going to have to get past Houston the way that they had to get past Anaheim. Oh nine, they get Anaheim in the ALCS and they get past Anaheim and they win the world series. Um, you know, at some point they're going to have to be Houston, whether it's ALCS or, or an earlier round or whatever it's going to be. But you know, that's, that's going to be the challenge right in front of them. What's the buzz mark with the youngsters, with the Yankees? Volpe's done everything imaginable to win a job. We'll see if he is the opening day shortstop. I'm not going to complain either way. If I get Peraza or Volpe, I'm happy. That's what I proclaimed offseason. Uh, I'm sticking to it, even though, listen, it's impossible not to be suckered in by what you see and you hear so much about the guy and he's a Jersey product and you want him to do well. The other guy I love is Oswaldo Cabrera. And I know he was shaky last year defensively, but he's got like Zobra's vibes to him, Mark. Like he can play all over the place. He's got a lot of energy to him. You know that's always going to gravitate to a guy like me. I like high-energy kind of guys. They're easy to root Surprising. for. Oh, stunning. You know, I like the, <laughs> the morose. The morose are usually right up my alley. Uh, right. But no, like, listen, the guys who bring it and they wear their emotions on their sleeve, New Yorkers are going to fall in love with that. I think the two youngsters can play a big role in kind of closing that gap. What are you hearing about Volpe and Cabrera? Obviously, Cabrera had a role last year. How realistic is it for Volpe to be on this team right out of the gate? I think it's realistic. I mean, look, he has outplayed Barraza this spring. Um, I think at the at the time that we're talking right now, Volpe has like a 940 OPS and, and Barraza's got a 600 OPS. So that's, uh, granted, it's spring training. You have to always accept that. But, you know, 52 plate appearances is a decent sample size. Uh, he's had a couple home runs. He's scored a bunch of runs. He's got an on-base percentage over 400. If you're going straight off of performance this spring, you know, Volpe should be the starting shortstop come opening day. If he's not, I don't think going with Peraza is a negative. He, you know, played well in his, in his short stint in New York last year. He played almost a full season at AAA. Volpe's got, you know, just a handful of the bats at AAA. Uh, and, you know, the Yankees do tend to be a little more on the cautious side with their prospects than some other teams. That said, I think if it's Peraza, that's fine. The only scenario that was going to send you and the rest of your fellow Yankee fans off a cliff. You know exactly where it is. Yes. If IKF was the starting shortstop uh-huh. come opening day, it's pretty clear that's not going to be the case. I agree with you on Cabrera. I think he's the kind of guy who can kind of be that jack of all trades and Filling in the outfield, filling in the infield. He brings a little jolt. Everybody likes him. 
Uh, I don't ever see him necessarily locking down a starting position anywhere uh, because ultimately, I think what we see, unless one of the other two kids gets traded, is I think you see Volpe at second and Barraza at short, longer term. Uh, and maybe Glaber gets traded, you know, either in season this year or, you know, if there's a, a trade they need to make, if they need to go get a starting pitcher uh, or something else that they need. And Glaber is the trade bait there. And you feel comfortable with the, with the two kids manning the middle infield. Uh, you know, maybe that's a trade that happens this year or maybe it's in the offseason next year. But I think ultimately, if those two kids are as real as we think they're going to be, there's your middle infield. And Cabrera sort of is that left field, center field, backup infielder, backup third baseman kind of guy who, uh, you know, every team needs one of those, one of those, you know, sort of Swiss Army knife guys. And he could be that guy. You spent a lot of time, obviously, around the 2009 New York Yankees. Wrote a book on the 2009 New York Yankees. Well, here we are, Mark. It's 2023. And one of those former 2009 Yankees is one of the most indispensable and one of the most important Mets going into the year because of what happened with Edwin Diaz. You know David Robertson very well. I always liked him. He was always clutch for the Yankees. He handled the setup role. He handled the closers role. He comes back and he's setting up for the Yankees. Now he's the Met closer, at least for now. I think he's up to the challenge at this stage in his career. He's not going to be Edwin Diaz. We know that. But, I mean, his 30-plus saves and quality relief work. I mean, fair to say, Mark, that's what I expect out of this guy going into the year. Reasonable? I don't see any reason for it not to be reasonable. I mean, this is a guy who really every year of his career, he's had great success except for the two years when he was hurt in Philadelphia. Uh, you know, he signed that uh, a couple, you know, two-year, $24 million deal before the 2019 season with the Phillies, pitched seven games, got hurt, missed all of 2019, missed all of 2020, uh, you know, came back in 2021 for 12 games with the Rays after winning, uh, after being the closer for Team USA when they won the WBC. Uh, and then last year, he sort of was an afterthought. Any team could have had him. He signed for, you know, $3 million and change with the Cubs and turned in a really good year. He saved, you know, 14 games with the Cubs with a 2.2, went to the Phillies, did some clutch stuff there, helped them get to the World Series. Um, this guy has a track record. Look, he's not Owen Diaz. Nobody, nobody should try to put expectations on him that he is. But he's the exact same pitcher he's been since he first came into the big leagues in 2008. He's not blowing you away with 100. He's going to throw 92. But hitters have been saying... Since he's 25 years old, that 92 looks like 98 uh, because, you know, his release point is so, so much closer to the plate than most guys. It sort of just sneaks up on you and jumps on you like that. Hitters have had trouble with him forever. New York is not going to bother him. We know that much, right? He's, this is the guy, this is Houdini, right? This is the guy who used to, uh, you know, put, put the fear in your heart and then go get out of the gym and hand the ball off to Mo. So, yeah, I, I think he's going to be fine. Ultimately, I think the Mets bullpen is going to be fine because as great as Diaz is, there are always relievers available come July, right? Robertson out of Vino, rarely when he comes back. They've got some guys. They'll call up somebody. They'll try some guys out. Somebody will get hot for a month. And if they need a big reliever come July, there will be five of them out there for the taking. And if any of them make money, 
Steve Cohen is going to say, that's fine. Give him a marginal prospect. We'll take on the whole contract. And some team will be really happy to give you that whole contract. So there are plenty of relievers to be had in July. The Mets just have to sort of feel their way through it between now and, you know, the end of May, figure between now and Memorial Day. Feel around, feel what your bullpen looks like. And then if you need to go get somebody, there will be guys to go get. The vision's loaded. I mean, last year it was a two-horse race with the Mets and the Braves. Then all of a sudden the Phillies come out of nowhere. They get hot at the right time, expanded postseason, and they're in the World Series. They also go and add Trey Turner. The Mets add Verlander. And the Braves have all these young studs. It's early, Mark. If you had to rank these teams, one, two, three, Braves, Mets, Phillies, where do you shake them out? That's so tough, honestly. It's hard for me to pick against the Braves because they just find a way every year. Um, the other thing I'll say is all three managers in the three teams, I love them all. Me too. Right? I Me mean, too. I love Snicker, Rob Thompson. He's fantastic. Snicker is, I mean, I spent a couple of days with Snicker in spring training last week. That guy is just as cool a character as there is. He is just, he's just happy to be there and knows how good his team is and doesn't, doesn't try to complicate things. I mean, Robbie Thompson, I spent years around with the Yankees, one of my favorite guys at baseball, uh, and Buck is Buck. So, you know, I think all three of those guys are going to have their teams ready and prepared. When you have a division with three teams like this, to me, it always just comes down to who's going to stay the healthiest. Because uh, if Verlander and Scherzer can stay as Verlander and Scherzer and make 30 to 32 starts apiece, um, you know, they have to be the favorites. That team is just deep. Uh, the bullpen's the only question mark. But like I said, I think they address that through trades. They'll be able to do that. Phillies, you know, I... I didn't think they were as good as a team to get to the World Series last year. They got hot, but then you go out and add, you know, arguably the second best free agent on the market. That's huge. Their pitching staff looks really good. Um, they even locked in some relief guys. It's always been their sort of Achilles heel. And then you look at the Braves, that team with those young guys, they have all locked up. Uh, they're more, I think, of a long-term threat that even if they don't win the division this year, they're going to be there every year for many years to come because they've found a way to lock up all of their young talent, except for Max Freed. He may go to free agency uh, in a year from now, but you know they've got that core just ready to go for the next five, six, seven years, uh, longer in some cases. And uh, it's going to be, that. that's going to be, to me, that three-way race uh, is probably the most compelling thing we're going to see this year. Totally agree with that. Uh, you spent a lot of time traveling these circuits, spring training or... Is there a team, Mark, that maybe is a little under the radar? They spent a little time with and said, I really like that group. I kind of think you're all in on the Mariners. I like the Mariners, too. (laughs) I wanted to throw this team at you. Toronto. Everybody loved them last year, right? Like, they were the darling. Everybody picked them. They were solid. They made the playoffs, but then they got swept in three games. I think they're going to be much better this year. like that. And I don't think they're really a dark horse because, you know, they have a lot of talent. They have a lot of superstars. Those are two teams I'm eyeing up for like potential future bets. Oh, might I add to go and win the World Series? I have Blue Jays, yep. I have Mariners Circle. But who do you got as like an under the radar team? Well, I'm the, I work for Major League Baseball, so let's not talk about future bets here. There we go. Um, we'll leave that to me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't make any, I don't do any betting in Major League Baseball. Uh, but when you asked me to, you know, before we were talking before we came on here and you said you were going to ask me for dark horses, I started looking at the standings. To me, a dark horse is a team that didn't make the playoffs last year. Um, so, Toronto, 92 wins last year. Seattle, 90 wins last year. Both wild cards. I, I didn't 
if I'm going to be able to use one of those, Seattle's my team. I love Seattle. I think there's a chance that they uh, topple Houston in the AL West this year. So if they consider that dark horse, I'll go there. If I'm looking at a non-playoff team uh, in the American League, I don't really think there is one. I mean, Baltimore had a really great year last year for them, 83 wins. I wish they had gone out and done something. Nathan Evaldi was the guy all winter that I felt like he's the perfect Oriole. He's going to go there. He can go there, lead this young staff, teach them how to, you know, sort of be a big leaguer, right? They've got such good young talent. I got to see Grayson Rodriguez in, uh, in spring training a couple weeks ago, a week or two ago. That guy, first of all, is huge, throws hard, seems to have a good mentality behind him. Um, and, you know, him and D.L. Hall, who started out late, Baltimore's got some guys coming up the pike, but I feel like they need that one guy to lead that staff. I think they take a little bit of a step forward this year, but I'm not sure it's playoffs. Um, you know, the White Sox, Twins, and I guess one of those teams could theoretically get hot, but it, I guess Seattle's the team of the second-tier citizens of the American League that I would look at. National League is a little more interesting to me. Arizona, I really liked what they've done uh, in the offseason. And I look, they're not going to beat the Dodgers and the Padres in the division, but I could see them potentially uh, going from a 74-win team to, uh, you know, to being a team that actually is in a, is in a wild card race come, uh, you know, come September. So they're, they're and, and the other team I really like what they did this winter was the Cubs. Um, you know, they added Hosmer, Mancini, Dansby Swanson, Bellinger hoping for a bounce back there. Um, and, uh, you know, so their offense is going to be a lot better. I think the Cubs have a chance to potentially make a little bit of noise as well. Final one. I was thinking about this today because I'm reading Jack Curry's book as we speak. I finished up your book. I'm like I'm getting into reading these days, Mark. It's, uh, I get all these great books from you guys and gals and, you know, I can't put them down. They're uh, near and dear to my heart. They're you know, subject matters I love. And I'm reading about Girardi on the 98 team. And, you know, he's just like this Zen master behind the plate. He, he cares so much. You covered him as a manager. He wins in 2009. He leaves the Yankees. He goes to the Phillies. It just doesn't work. I mean, that's just all there is to it. Is his baseball chapter as a manager, you think, closed? Or do you see Joe, like, where do you see Joe Girardi? You know him better than a lot of people. So that's why I was thinking about this. You saw him when he was managing the Yankees, winning, keeping them afloat when they didn't have much talent in 2013, 14, 15. I think he's great at his job, but Philly obviously didn't go well, and Rob Thompson takes him to the World Series. Do you think Joe Girardi will manage again? I think he would certainly be open to the idea. I haven't talked to him about it specifically, but... You know, Joe's not Joe's not an old guy, right? He's still what probably in his mid fifties, maybe late fifties. Um, I think he would be open to it, but I think it would have to be the right team. Uh, I don't think he's going to go to a young team like he did with the Marlins the first time around. I mean, it's 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 hard to forget. Joe's already managed three clubs. Um, you know, he did the Marlins, then the Yankees, then the Phillies. One of those ended really well. Uh, well, one of those went really well and then ended maybe not so well. But um, I think with the current state of baseball, teams either want that established manager, but like a player's guy, or they want a no-name who they don't have to pay very much to, who's going to go along with all the analytics of the front office and sort of be in lockstep there. Joe doesn't really fit either of those. He's not known as a player's manager. 
He's certainly not going to be an inexpensive young manager. Um, I wouldn't be surprised at all if Joe's future is in television uh, because he's, he's good at very, it too, Mark. He's been very, he's very good, good at, at it throughout you know the times that he's done it. Um, so I, I could see him being one of those guys who goes to TV with the idea of if the opportunity presents itself, I would like to do that again. But remember, you know, we heard that from Bill Cower at one point, right? He was going to go do TV until he got his next coaching job, and he's still on TV and has never left. So um, I think Joe would be interested in doing it again. I'm not sure the job's going to be there, especially when the last two teams that he, uh, you know, that he left, one of them was had just gone to the ALCS, so the team got rid of him. The other one, they got rid of him and ultimately went to the World Series that year. That's not a great look for a guy. Mark Feinstein. MLB.com, MLB Network will be seeing, reading way too much of you now over the next couple of weeks. I have my little baseball hiatus, and now I'm ready to go. Like, Sweet 16, Elite Eight, Final Four, baseball season. Go time, Mark Feinstein. Go get them, all right? That's what we like to see. Baseball season's back. Finally get to, uh, you know, get back to ballparks and do what we do, do what we love to do. And the best part is we get to do it watching games that are going to go about two and a half hours this year. Oh, so, the pitch clock. How excited oh, are you man. for that? It, let me tell me you, too. I, I, I liked it right when I heard about it, but actually going and covering I, in the last three and a half weeks, I've probably been to 15 to 20 games uh, in Arizona and Florida. There was one game that sort of dragged on and went three hours and 20 minutes. It was like 14 to 10 with, you know, 12 pitching changes and all this stuff. That game last year would have been four and a half hours. It was 320. We're sitting there going, oh, my God, this is so long. 320. That's how spoiled we all are already. We've already all just completely bought in with the pitch clock. Um, You know, I think this has been something that uh, the players, I haven't heard all that much griping, right? A couple of veterans, I'm still trying to figure it out a little bit. But all the young guys, they came up through the minors with this. They're totally at peace with it and ready for it. So. Uh, I think the pitch timer is going to be great. And I really think it's, it's, it's made the game more watchable. And that was the point of it. It was, it's not the length of the game. It was the pace of the game. You want to throw a 14, 10 game. I mean, that goes three hours and 20 minutes. It's, it's exciting. I'm in. All for it. it. It's the, the idea. Guys stepping in the, and out. It was just five, 10 seconds, 20 seconds between, you know, like it was the five to doing. one game, right? The five, one game that went three hours and 40 minutes. And you're just like, why? How is this the, possible? You know, Correct. How is it possible that, I mean, I had gone to Yankees Red Sox games that were, you know, four to two, that were four hours and 12 minutes. And you're just like, how? Because they're stepping out, stepping in there, you know, this and that. It just, it takes forever. This, the pace is so much better. I think the fans are going to be into it more. Uh, I think it's going to be a better product on television. I really, I'm a big fan of everything I've seen so far. Mark Feinstein, fan of the pitch clock. Same as yours truly. I love it. Sign me up right now. And when I'm at SNY, Monday to Friday, I'm going to like it that much more, Mark Fine said. I'm not kidding. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Listen, have a great season. Thank you so much for a few minutes, and we'll chat soon, okay? You got it, buddy. Good job there from Feinstein. And I hope there's a place for a guy like Joe Girardi in baseball. I know he did not do a good job in Philly. I know there are questions about whether or not he could connect with the modern player, but that guy's a baseball lifer. You know that? He was good on TV. He was a damn good Yankee manager. He's a better manager than the Yankees currently have. Nobody could try and argue otherwise. I hope there's a place for Joe Girardi in baseball. I really do. 
All right, before we say goodbye, listen, hopefully a better day for me. Uh, rough start to the Sweet 16. One and three against the spread. Thankfully, I only played three of the games because I sat out the UConn game. I, I just didn't. I knew there was blowout potential. I also gave Arkansas a little bit too much respect, so I stayed away from the game. Al's ended up covering, and we lost two heartbreakers. You said it was a heartbreaker. Michigan State is a heartbreaker. What are you going to do? That's March. Before I give my picks, Jeff Money, the floor is yours, sir. What do we got Friday? What up, JJ? Jeff Money here with a handicap for picks. It'll be for Friday, the 24th, the other half of the Sweet 16 game. We got the four plays. All right, my money play, I'm going with Alabama, minus the seven and a half over San Diego State. Game number two, I'm going to go with Miami, plus the seven and a half over Houston. I'm going to go with Xavier, plus the four and a half over Texas. And I'm going to go with Creighton, minus the nine and a half over Princeton. Again, my four plays, my money play, I'm going to go with Alabama, minus the seven and a half. I'm going to take Miami, plus the seven and a half. Xavier plus the four and a half, and finally Creighton minus the nine and a half. And everyone can follow all my daily plays on Twitter at Jeff Money. Okay, JJ, let's see if we got some family plays. I'm out of here. Let's go. Let's go, Jeff Money. Um, we don't on Miami and Houston. My favorite bet of the night tomorrow is Houston laying seven and a half against the Hurricanes. And Miami's been a team that's been good to me. I bet them in the first two rounds of the NCAA tournament. Sasser is back. I think Houston is going to demolish them on the glass. I think that's a double-digit Houston win. I like Creighton tomorrow, too. I, I'm with you on Creighton. I think that is a way to lump a spot for the Blue Jays. You look at their Kempom numbers. They're outstanding. I don't think they fool around with Princeton. Now, Princeton, listen, it's proven me wrong their first two tournament games. Uh, I think the road ends on Friday night. Um, San Diego State-Alabama is a really tough call for me. It's a really tough call because it has blowout potential from a standpoint of San Diego State being unable to score. That's what scares me about the game. Alabama plays their A game. I think they're going to win by 15 plus points. This is one of those games. My line instinct says Aztec. My basketball instinct says Alabama. And it reminds me of UConn, Arkansas. That's why I'm probably not going to bet that game. And I like Xavier against Texas. Texas plays close games. I think Xavier's style matches up well with the Longhorn style. I do. I think Xavier having their scare really helped them in the first round. You saw it against Pitt. And, and I think they'll be ready to go here in this game. I think Xavier could absolutely win the game. I will actually sprinkle Xavier on the money line in addition to the four and a half. So I like Houston. I like Creighton. I like Xavier. Those are three plays for Sweet 16 action on Friday. And in case you're wondering about the Saturday lines, I've not seen them yet. Here we go. Kansas State opened at one and a half. It is now with two and a half against Florida Atlantic. Florida Atlantic's going to be live in that game. No one's going to pick them. No one's going to give them a chance. Florida Atlantic can absolutely win that game. Then you got UConn-Gonzaga. It's tough to go against UConn right now. That's my initial lean. I'm going to finalize it tomorrow for East Coast Bias, our gambling pod, Ringer Gambling Show. But the the leans at the moment, and I'm going to sleep on it, I reserve the right to change my mind, would be the Owls of Florida Atlantic and the Huskies of UConn, which pains me to say is a Syracuse guy. Well, that is a Friday show. Back-to-back, ton of content coming next week. Buckle up. Sunday, after the regional finals, we'll be rocking. No Nick basketball to react to. Well, maybe find out if Mr. Volpe 
is going to be your opening day Yankee shortstop. And, and sooner or later, this Rogers deal got to go down, right? Sooner or later. Good job by Stefan. We're back Sunday night. Until then, JJ out. Be good, everybody. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. When I went on my last holiday to Cape Town, it was amazing. My friends were there, the weather was phenomenal, and most importantly, the food was fantastic. But one thing I struggled with was finding the right places to stay. You know, all I want is a great bed, a fantastic shower, and breakfast that doesn't end at 8 a.m. I'm on holiday, I'm still sleeping. I also like ease, and the Hotels.com app easily helps me to find a perfect hotel for every trip. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly getaway or a relaxing spa weekend, on the Hotels.com app, you can compare up to five hotels side-by-side. Now, why would you want to do that? So you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings. And best of all, you don't have to switch back and forth between options. See? Ease. So, start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today.